Uh, we have the acronym PLAY, P-L-A-E. And if you focus, if you're not sure what to do, play with your children, which is presence. L-A is loving attention and E is empathy. And if you do that, if you're when else, whenever you're not sure, you tend to do, okay, like you said with your daughter, you, just being present with her was really so, so uh, contributed so much to her, so powerful. And sometimes we think we're not doing enough if we're just sort of present. We got to do something more. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. That voice you heard in the intro is Dr. Matthew Letterman. Together with his partner, Dr. Alona Poulde, he created the medical program used in the Forks Over Knives documentary, which many of you probably watched him in. They're the authors of six books, including the co-authored New York Times bestseller, The Forks Over Knives Plan, and their new book, Wellness to Wonderful. While they started off focusing on nutrition and lifestyle medicine, they've now moved to incorporating a more holistic view of wellness, which especially includes connection. Today, Dr. Letterman and I are talking more about connection and the impact on our physical and mental health. But before we get into that, a one-minute word from today's sponsor, PrepDish. PrepDish is a meal planning service. Each week in my inbox, I get a three-page PDF. The first page is the ingredient list, which I use to add the ingredients to my shopping cart online. The second is the prep day list, which is the about an hour that I spend prepping the foods that are going to be cooked for the week. And the last page is the dish day list. And this is how I actually get the food on the table, which usually only takes about 15 minutes. By dividing meal planning up into these three sections, I'm so much more prepared for the week to come. Especially the prep day duties, because the time that I can do those is flexible. So I can almost always incorporate my partner on the weekend or in the evenings, so I don't feel so alone in it. PrepDish has significantly reduced my weekly meal planning stress and I lean especially hard on their weekly super fast menus. If you wanna try it out, go to prepdish.com forward slash families and you'll get two weeks free. Prepdish.com forward slash families. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy my chat with Dr. Letterman. Hi Matt, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how you got here, your journey from medical school until where you're at today. Yeah, uh, I don't think the podcast is long enough for that journey, but <laughs> but uh, basically always been thinking outside the box and trying to just make sense of when things feel like they're working and when they're not, and then figuring out alternative pathways to just just thrive more, right? Whether it's with my own health or my family's connection and health. So we've, you know, gone through nutrition, how we've handled uh, medicine, how we've handled connection with our families, how we've, I mean, pretty much everything we're outside the box and it's a pretty fun place to live, but it's always in an effort to thrive in what, in what feels good to us. So I, I, I can get into the details, but it's, uh, I, I, we do everything differently. We, we treat patients differently. We parent differently. We eat differently. 
And um, it's for it's some people it works well and other people, you know, they like the more conventional methods. So this book, Wellness to Wonderful, is this your fifth book? Uh, our sixth book, actually. Sixth we book. Have, yeah. Okay. So this is this is a book that really expanded how we view health and how we brought in connection is a big part of it. I, I got my certification in nonviolent communication to be a certified trainer through CNBC. Uh, I'm actually one of the few medical doctors that are is a certified trainer. Uh, and we need to, we need to, I, my belief, we need to expand that, increase that. But uh, spent four years on that. It was by far harder than medical school for me and more rewarding and more work and more everything. It really changed my life and changed how we treat patients. And, and now we've connected basically connection to being anti-inflammatory mm. and and antiviral. I mean, all these things that the science is now supporting around connection is so powerful that we wanted to get it out there. Right. So what year did you work on the Forks Over Knives documentary? When was that time frame? So we, we started at around 2009. Okay. So and back then, in those days, were you working primarily on nutrition or were you always sort of looking at the bigger realm of wellness? So we started with nutrition and we're shocked by the impact that really significant nutrition change can have on chronic disease. And it works, in my opinion, much more effectively than using just pills and procedures, particularly for chronic disease. And then over time, we started dealing with things like chronic pain and um, people living in these with chronic fatigue and stress and even certain chronic diseases that didn't fully improve a lot of autoimmune diseases um, that didn't fully improve with dietary change alone. And diet is a really important piece, but there was this other piece around connection that's really important. And if you do one without the other, you're really missing out. So we started talking about nutrition, lifestyle, and connection medicine as our sort of thing. Mm. How do you differentiate lifestyle versus connection? Those things feel kind of intertwined right. to me. Right. So they can be intertwined. But for me, lifestyle talks about it's it's more vague and nutrition and lifestyle is something that's been out there. And it's for me, it's more around activity, exercise, sleep, you know, sort of good habits, if you will. Mm -hmm. And connection is is deeper. It's connection to yourself. In fact, our first pillar is around self. It's getting out of the fight or flight mode so you can connect to what you're feeling and eating so that then you can show up to the to your world in a way that enhances connection. And we talk about connection. It's not just around being around people. It's around really sharing yourself authentically in a way that brings you closer together and the other person receives it as a gift instead of, what we all fear, which is it's going to push push them away or they're going to judge us. So there's a way to do that. And that's where nonviolent communication really came in. And it was really remarkable to see not only did it feel good and it changed my relationship with my kids and my wife and myself, but then to see that it has impacts on physical disease. And we said, hey, you, you know, we can't look past this at all. Yes. And so many of us as parents live in survival mode for a very long time. It's hard to find our way out of it. Would you say that fighting survival mode or finding your way out is sort of the goal of this book? Um, I don't think there's it's, there's these static, like you're in it or you're at it, out of it, mm -hmm. or you can get out of it and then everything's going to be great. I think it's learning how to be in that dynamic balance, almost like surfing. It's not like, yeah. it's almost like imagine the rest of your life, you're going to be surfing versus thinking at some point you're going to get to the beach and everything's going to be okay. 
and you're yeah. going to be stable. But if you learn how to do that sort of tending to all of your pillars, that's when life becomes wonderful. Yeah. When you, you use that phrase, life is wonderful a lot in the book. And when I first heard that I, I had kind of an eye roll moment because in some ways, when I hear that, oh, life is wonderful. I think that many of us, our heads, mine, inc mine included goes to life is perfect. Mm. And kind of, how do you, how do you separate those two things? How do you distinguish those things for people who sort of think in order for life to be wonderful, it has to be perfect. Right. And perfect is a, to me is, is even an evaluation that is different for different people. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, we, we think about more around, Hey, am I connect? It's more of an active process than, Hey, I'm going to get to this perfect life. That's not what we mean. I'm glad you brought that up for me. It's about, am I connected to myself authentically? And can I share that and be myself fully with the people around me that I care about most? And how do I do that? If that's important to me, to me, it's life is wonderful, not when you're on this path and only on this path. It's actually being able to identify what the path looks like, identify when you're off the path and know how to get back on and know that life is constantly this process of being on it and off of it. And it's that balance. Um, like, so even when I'm sad and having an, or having or feeling hurt or lonely, life can be wonderful in that state or life can be miserable and I can suffer. So for example, if I'm holding that pain alone, I'm going to increase suffering. If I'm stuck in judgments in my head versus connecting to my heart and letting that that pain sort of process and flow through, there's going to be, you know, life is going to be more wonderful when I do that versus I'm staying in judgments and in my head, for example. So it's not the absence of unpleasant emotion. It's how we navigate the unpleasant emotion that allows this flow of life to continue that dynamic process that we talk about. I highlighted a quote from your book that says, it's not the truth of a person's story that matters. It's the pain in their heart as a result of that perception. Mm. I thought that was really meaningful this morning. Um, I was getting my seven-year-old off to her first day of summer camp. And um, I was marinating on this quote because she had this like little blister on her lip and she couldn't eat. She couldn't think she couldn't do anything because it was just causing her so much distress and mm. it wasn't painful. It was just like there and she wasn't expecting it. She don't know what it was. So, um, it was, it was hard because in that moment, her truth was this, this like little like mouth blister or sore is going to ruin my day and it is going to be the end of me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm trying, I'm in sort of autopilot mode, right? Get the lunches made, um, get the backpack packed, do all the things. And what she really needed at that moment was for me just to sit with her and be like, I know it's really hard and unexpected that you've got this blister in your mouth <laughs> and hold space for her. But that, that's hard because she really did. She was carrying a lot of frustration over that. Yes. Yes. That's, I love that. And that's the key as parents. Like I believe the first thing that as a parent, if, if you believe there's such a thing as a good parent, that's the surest way to make yourself miserable. The second, <laughs> right. right. And this, the second thing is if my goal is to pave some path for them, I'm going to, I'm going to probably increase disconnection and again, make myself feel really weighty and miserable. But if I focus on really trying to support their authenticity coming out, really helping them not feel alone with whatever's up, we have the acronym PLAY, P-L-A-E. And if you focus, if you're not sure what to do, play with your children, which is presence, L-A is loving attention, and E is empathy. And if you do that, if you're, when else, whenever you're not sure, you tend to do, okay, like you said with your daughter, you, just being present with her was really 
so, so uh, contributed so much to her. It's so powerful. And sometimes we think we're not doing enough if we're just sort of present. We got to do something more. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the children actually will start. I found my daughter, they may start to worry about you. So when you're present with them, they don't have to manage you. And to, to my surprise, this happened. My daughter was sick the other day and she was in the bathroom and really not feeling well. And I looked at her for some reason and I just felt this urge to say, I'm okay with your pain. Hmm. And she looked at me and I said, I'm okay that you're hurting. And she looked at me and said to me, right, she says, oh, dad, thank you. And she explained, she said, dad, I sometimes don't want to ask you to sit with me because I worry that you're going to feel bad for me. Oh, wow. She was able to voice that. And she said, so I'm sitting there. I said, yeah, just let me know if you need anything. But this way you don't have to handle your pain alone. Yeah. She was so relieved from that. Yeah. Just sitting there holding space for each other in many ways. And and not having to be alone, but not having the pressure of fixing it either. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that pressure to fix it, that's something that many parents we put on ourselves wanting the pain to go away as quickly as possible, emotional, physical. Yes. Because a lot of times we think that's our job. We got to fix it, Mm -hmm. make it better. And a lot of times that's what they come to us thinking they want, but really it it doesn't land well. And it's okay to try and then say, oh, that didn't land well. You know, we tell people, you know, don't just do something, stand there. Mm. Instead of don't just stand there, do something, right? (laughs) Reverse that. Don't just, don't just do something, stand there. And that to me is sometimes reminds me of, hey, can I just be present with them? What a gift. Yeah. I've heard of it um, called masterly inactivity, right? Mm. So being a master of being inactive, just, you know, being there doing nothing on purpose, which right. might be harder than anything for some of us, myself included, those who want to jump in and do all the things and fix all the things. Oh my, it's so hard, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um you've mentioned nonviolent communication and I want you to explain that a little bit more. I don't think most of the listeners are going to be familiar with that is what that is. I think many of us are thinking, Oh, we're, we're not communicating violently. So we must be doing the thing. What do you mean by NBC? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so, so NBC is about transforming what we talk about STD, what you say, think, or do, right? So transforming what you say or how you say it, how you think, and then what you do, so that you bring a quality of connection between you and this other person, or even within yourself. You br- and you bring a quality of connection that when that quality connection is present, it makes giving and receiving flow naturally. In other words, we care about each other's needs so much that we're that giving to you is meeting my needs. And receiving from you is also meeting my needs, but it's it's really about a, a feelings and needs vocabulary and needs based consciousness. And once we care about each other's needs, then what needs to happen will will actually naturally happen. Mm-hmm. And for for parents that haven't heard about this, they're like, "How are you? How is that really going to work?" Right? They don't believe that that's even possible. And I, I mean, we can get into that, but it it actually really is, and it makes life so much more wonderful. And some, and in fact, it makes. I've talked worked with a lot of parents, right? The the teenage rebellious years are a symptom, in my experience, of the lack of focus on this quality of connection as the priority. Mm-hmm. Right. If your focus instead is on I gotta get what I want, you've got to listen to me. There's a right and a wrong, you should or you shouldn't, there's a good and a bad. If that's your paradigm, you're setting yourself up for this rebel submission dynamic. 
instead of this quality of connection dynamic. NBC mm -hmm. teaches you how to create this, this quality of connection focus. We're gonna pause for a one minute word from today's sponsor. Our first sponsor is KiwiCo. KiwiCo believes that every kid is naturally creative and curious and that hands-on experiences build creative confidence and problem-solving skills. And they bring seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. As an adult, I love engaging in these activities with my kids. They're meaningful, purposeful, and I always walk away having learned something new. My kids' favorite recent project was the Domino Machine, which they built and actually the machine slash robot would set up the dominoes for them. Projects like this leave them feeling confident and capable and excited to take on new things. So redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com forward slash simple. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash simple. Try it out. I know you'll love KiwiCo, especially on those rainy or unexpected sick days. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Back to my chat with Matt. I have been interested in learning more about nonviolent communication for some time. So I'm curious to learn more about it from you. Um, can you give us an example of what that might look like? Maybe how that would play out in a situation with one of your girls? Yeah, I can. I can or you can give me, put me on, on the spot here. You can give me an example of a conflict or in your house or a common conflict that you hear or something. Yeah, you sure. Um, so we have a recurring issue of my kids arguing in the backseat of my car while I'm driving. Mm. Um, how would you NBC that situation? So I would start with connection to myself. We always talk about sharing. Again, if I'm focusing okay. on just trying to stop them from arguing, I'm outside of this focus of quality of connection. Mm -hmm. I want to create a quality connection. I got to first share what's going on in me. And first I got to self-connect to even identify what it is. And it might just be initially we're think about, we think of our needs in terms of what's wrong, who's to blame, right? And who do we have to get to stop? How do we control behaviors? Instead, I want to share vulnerable. I want to say, oh, my head is killing me right now. I'm like under-resourced and I'm overstimulated and I'm just having such a hard time hearing any more noise, let alone this disharmony and this the bickering that I'm experiencing. And I have a real need for harmony and peace right now. So see, I go to the needs and I'm feeling really frustrated and overwhelmed or overstimulated. Those are feelings. And I'm not judging them as, you know, they're they're fighting or there's something wrong with them. I'm just saying, hey, there's more noise than I can handle right now. Okay, so then I've done that connection to myself. I'm more likely now to show up and I have to check in. If I need to get them to just be quiet, that's one way to meet my need for peace, right? I, I We want to have lots of strategies to meet our needs because we all have the same needs, but there's different strategies to meet those needs and people have lots of different strategies. So I could put mm -hmm. earplugs in, for example, and that would meet my need for the peace and quiet because I wouldn't hear anything anymore. But I could also imagine that my need is also care. Hey, kids back there, do they care about me and my needs and the impact of their bickering on me? And bickering is a judgment, right? So I would want to get to observations to, again, tend to that quality connection. Hey, when I hear one person say something, the other person talks before they're finished, and one person's telling the other person what they're doing is wrong, and this person's defending what they're doing is right, I'm going to call that the label of bickering. But when I hear that, I feel really unsettled. My nervous system starts going, ah! And I just want to take a second if people have a people in the back, are you willing to pause and talk about this? Because it's having an impact on me. And let's see what what would they say? You, we can even role play now. But let's say you were the kids right now. 
play mm-hmm. one of the kids. And I just, see, I did that little self-connection. It took less than a minute, mm-hmm. maybe a minute. And then I'm reaching in. I got to make sure what is my goal when I'm connecting? Am I trying to blame them, shame them, make them point out that they're wrong and what they're doing is wrong? Or do I want to connect? And a connection is I really want them to care about the impact that their noise is having on me. And my guess also is I want to be able to care about whatever's going on to them is must be important. I got to care about both their needs and my needs. Mm. So what, what can you imagine if I if I said something, what would their response be? Well, I mean, I think thinking about my response in those situations is I are, I have some baseline driving anxiety. So I'm already more anxious when I'm driving on the highway and that hugely plays into this. So let's say I'm driving on the highway and they start arguing while I'm like right in the middle of the highway. And I, I, event, I go into fight or flight mode, right? Because I think that I'm already a subpar driver. And now I have these distractions in the backseat that are making it more difficult for me to do my best and to keep my kids safe. So there's mm-hmm. a real safety theme that plays into okay, this. So safety me. is your need. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So safety yeah, so, for so, sure. So safety is your need. We have, this is one of the things also, a lot of people, when they first hear about NBC and parenting, they think it's permissive because, mm-hmm. oh, well, we're just going to, you know, the kids are going to get what they want. It's not permissive. It's that we care about the parents' needs and the kids' needs, but we're not going to move forward in a way that just meets the kids' needs at the expense of the parents. And safety is one of those needs where I will use power over if I need to, but it's a last resort, not a first resort. Yeah. So I might pull over the car and I'll say, wow, I'm getting dysregulated right now and I'm feeling really unsafe. I'm going to pull over so I have a little bit more time and space to handle this because it's feeling like I'm in fight or flight right now. This is feeling Mm -hmm. really urgent. Because if it's urgent, you might have to, if it really was urgent, right, you might yell at your kid, don't run in the street. You know, you might say, if it feels like you're going to crash, everybody stop screaming, I'm going to crash the car right now. So that's meeting your need for safety, but it's not quite meeting your need for connection, but that's okay. We're using power over because safety's on the line. I'd love to get to the point though, where we have proactive conversations and they're aware of the impact on you and they care about that, which I believe they would. Hmm. You can't do that in the heat of the moment, but you can pull over take a breath, calm yourself down. The kids are going to be like, why are you pulling over? And then you can <laughs> oh, say- I've pulled oh. over before. <laughs> okay. <They know. laughs> but, but, but imagine if instead of saying, you were so loud and yeah. I was so scared, if you say, oh, yeah, I just need to take a breath. I was so scared. And my body was like feeling like we were in danger. I was going to crash the car when I heard all that noise. I couldn't even think straight. And I'm imagining something is really important to you going on back there. And at the same time, there's an impact of how you're communicating. It's an impact on me. Can you tell me what you're hearing? And then I would ask the kids to tell me what they're hearing so that I can using, you know, not too many words. So what would they say if you said that to them after you pulled over? Well, I mean, I think if I was able to stay calm and up until the point where I intervened with them, right? Like I think if I'm pulling over, usually I'm pretty frustrated by the time I'm pulling over, right? So I think in this in this sort of situation where I'm imagining how this would go, if I was able to stay calm to the point where I could pull it over and talk it out with them, which usually wouldn't be on the side of the highway in traffic, um, then I think, yes, because if I'm calm, they're calm, right? So usually, I mean, in in with with me, like if I'm calm with them, they're calm with me, even if they're... Even if they're bickering with each other, they would most likely still be calm with me as long as I'm calm with them. But the minute I raise the bar, raise the temperature, then they start to raise the temperature with me. So kind of looking at that mirroring. They're co-regulating with you. Yes. 
So, yeah. so that's the other thing is, weren't you? We you caught me in the heat of the moment. I would also want to say beforehand, I can't drive. I can't drive and meet my need for safety with with the the noise and the the communicating the way they're doing that. So I will not, and I refuse to drive and not feel safe. So there's a lot of fun things that we do when I can drive, but we got to also figure out when you both have a disagreement or a conflict, how can we handle that in a way that also meets my need for safety? Yeah. Right. So do you see how now we're also proactively preparing? And then I would have two strategies at the fingertips. One is how do you protect yourself in the heat of the moment, even if they fight again the next time you're in the car, which to me is as soon as you notice it, like you said, don't wait until you're angry, pull over when you're still calm. A lot of times as parents, myself included, we wait until we're at the end of our rope and it's too mm -hmm. late. The yeah. other is, is there some sort of code word when I can tell you kids so we can work as a team? Because that's the key. We want the kids to think they're part of a team. It's collaborative parenting. What can I tell you all when I'm feeling scared that we can sort of put a little, you know, pause button on the fighting and that you trust that we'll handle it either when we pull over. If you said, hey, it's so important, you got to pull over mom at the next exit, or we can handle it when we get home, but at least we're not going to have the fighting where I'm scared. Right, right. Well, and also part of that self-work, I think for me is realizing that that fear is, um, it's a bit overinflated, right? Just because they're fighting in the backseat doesn't mean that I'm actually at more of a risk of getting into a car accident. That's my perception. I think that sort of evolves out of my fear. Right. And that's, that's separate. Like to me, that's your need around your own personal growth, mm -hmm. separate from your need for collaboration and care with yeah. your children and for them to care about the impact on you. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots of needs here that you're holding at the same time, which just adds complexity, but it's still very, it's still a beautiful quality of connection that's, that can happen there. Yeah. I love that idea of, of, having your kids seeing your needs too. And it's something that I see as my kids are getting a little older, they're seven and nine now, that more often I hear them checking in on my needs and my husband's needs. Uh, my neighbor came over yesterday and I heard my daughter ask my neighbor, who's an elderly woman, like, how are you, Miss Carol? Like, just kind of like really wanting to know, like, how are you doing? Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm seeing more of that as they're getting older, yeah. but I think in the younger years, when we don't hear it in those real tangible ways, it can be harder to, to see the benefits of this or to feel like you're on the right track. Right. And a, and a lot of parents, I mean, most people I, at any age don't know about needs-based consciousness. So the kids are not going to know about it. They'll model what you do as parents most of the time, but it's, it's a little bit different when they're really young, but it's still the same collaborative parenting style. We just have to communicate differently based on their abilities. But I mean, we've been doing this for five years, pretty, I would say, you know, intensively. So our nine-year-old was four when we started and we, you know, so it's doable, but it just, there's just different words and different yeah. experience. I mean, and it's half the battle is knowing what you're needing and saying it in a way that they can hear about it. So when I talk to you about communicating authentically, which involves knowing what you actually are needing. And then how do you say it so it's a gift to them? So when my kid, for example, does something like she leaves a mess in the room and we've talked about it 20 times about cleaning up when you're done. And I see the mess the 21st time. And initially I might be like, you know, Jordan, you know, get in here, you know? And that's, she's like, oh boy. So she gets scared. <laughs> she gets defensive. She yeah. gets shame is starting. She forgot again. Mm -hmm. So 
Or I can say, we have a little thing where we say, put our hands in the air and we'll say, that's sort of our code for, hey, I really want to focus on the quality of connection, mm. right? And that that came from a little work. It's kind of a funny story where I, I used to type and do stuff on the computer so fast that my friends would be like, hey, you're, you're, you're messing up the program. Put your hands in the air, step away from the keyboard, <laughs> right? So now we use that in our family, yeah. hands in the air, because I don't want to mess it up our connection here. By, mm-hmm. So then I'll say, hey, and I automatically go to support them first because I'm the parent. And I'll say, hey, I'm imagining when you hear me call your name, here's the observation, call your name and you see your clothes on the floor and you probably remember the 20 other times that we talked about this, you're immediately feeling maybe a little bit ashamed and maybe you're also feeling a little bit defensive, like you're worried, you want, you know, you want me to see, and this is the need, you want to be seen that you care about what we talk about and you consider me, consideration for me, even when you forget things 20 or 21 times. And you want me to see that you care, even though this happened. And she's like, yes, dad. So once I see her, I proactively dissolve defensiveness. I proactively dissolve shame. And now she's fully available to hear. And then I'm not only going to tell her what I what's going on for me, I'm going to make a very clear request. Because if you don't, she's going to assume when I say, hey, Jordan, I'm really frustrated because I see the clothes on the floor. I really need trust that what we say is going to be addressed and it's going to follow through predictability she's going to say do you want me just to feel bad about myself now like what do you mm-hmm. want from me What's the but if i say no what's really going to help me heal is empathy and then i give her a clear way to meet my neighbor really which is hey jordan can you tell me what you imagine i'm feeling and what needs are coming up for me when i see your clothes after our conversation and she'll say dad i'm imagining you're feeling upset because you really wanted me to follow through with what we've talked about but you yeah. see how that process increases mm-hmm. the chances of us getting to that quality of connection? Yeah. I think it also verbalizing it like that probably makes us much more aware when our expectations are not reasonable also. Like if we're asking our kids to do things that don't really matter or not that really that important and knowing when there are certain expectations that we need to hold and some that we can drop too. Right. So, so there, are you saying like sort of prioritizing what what we want and what their capacity is? Yeah. Like sometimes I'll see um, clients and families in my office where um, parents are correcting their kids a lot. Kind of like um, something I've seen more than once is like where a kid will touch their shoe and the parent will be like, stop touching your shoe. (laughs) And to me, I'm not a germaphobe. So it's not something I don't even notice them touching their shoe, but it's really triggering for the parent for the kid to be touching their shoe. Mm. And, and to me, I'm kind of like, maybe that's our work here is that, you know, we're, we're figuring out how to let some of these little things go. And I think about like trying to use NVC for an interaction like that, and really trying to get a kid to, to see your point of view. And maybe I think thinking that thinking through your need, really taking a look at what is your need to have your kid stop touching their shoe. And maybe that's, maybe it's, that's a valuable need. Maybe it's something that you could let go of. I don't know. Am I missing the mark on that? Well, no, I, I, to me, the touching your shoe or not touching your shoe is a strategy. Mm-hmm. So if we, I focus strategies after we have a quality of connection. Mm-hmm. And if I just tell a child to not do something, remember, everything people yeah. do is to meet needs, kids included. So as soon as I say, stop doing what you're doing, I'm basically saying your needs don't matter. Mm-hmm. My needs matter. Yours don't, which is one of the number one challenges kids have with their parents is that they believe their needs don't matter mm-hmm. compared to their parents. So mm-hmm. I want to say, hey, Here's what let's do you have a minute to connect around what comes up for me when I see you touching your shoe. Mm. Now the kids, you have to build trust because they're probably used to hearing this. So they probably assume the conversations to get them to stop touching their shoe. 
So we have to spend some time rebuilding trust. But I would say, hey, I don't care if you touch your shoe or not right now. That's not going to make or break you. We can deal with that. But I really want to hear what need you're meeting when you're touching your shoe. And I want to share what comes up for me around could be ordered, you know, cleanliness, health. Yeah. And just let's hear each other. And then we'll figure out what we do about shoe touching afterwards. Do you mm -hmm. have a minute to talk about that? You yeah. see the difference though? And then it's like, maybe shoe touching is my own opportunity. I don't, maybe I can loosen up a little bit. Maybe this is such a big deal that we got to be careful. And maybe it's situational. Hmm. You know, if you just stepped through in a farm in a big you know, pile of poop and you're touching that <laughs> versus you're walking around the house with new shoes, touching your shoe can mean different things. Yeah. Yeah. So this sounds a little bit exhausting, um, but you talk about resourcing a lot in your book. Tell me what resourcing is and how that can help us. <clears throat> yeah. So resourcing is meeting the needs for self-care. So we talk about the pillars around nutrition and activity and play and sleep and filling up sort of your own personal fuel tank, right? Even self-connection is going to help with that. And we talk, everybody needs to be resourced. So we actually have something with our kids where we talk about a shake and it's our resource shake. And as we get more and more hungry and tired and, you know, we want to need to move around, our shake gets more and more depleted. So we'll even ask them, how, is, how full is your shake? And they'll say, it's only about half full, dad. And I'll say, oh, so mm -hmm. we're more likely to snap. And I'll tell kids, I'll say, hey, my shake is like almost empty. Mm -hmm. So I'm more likely to have tone and I'm more likely to snap right now. And I'm going to go home and we have 20 minutes in the car. But I really am, if I do have tone or snap, can you give me a gentle reminder? But I want to let you know that I'm really under-resourced. So if you can do your best to help me right now and not have to do so much work around, you know, refereeing conflicts and things like that, that mm -hmm. would really help me right now. So that mm -hmm. to me is the re is being aware of your level of resource and also communicating that and also being aware of your child's level of resource and helping them become aware of that. Right. So thinking about resourcing, you're using this in a way um, that's sort of reflecting this cumulative effect of your sleep and are you well fed and are you, um, are you sort of well in across the board and across all the pillars? Right. Which is why those pillars, one of the reasons why those pillars are so important. If I want to be more connected to my wife and kids, I know I need to prioritize getting my seven to eight hours of sleep. If I choose to stay up late and work and only get five hours of sleep, I'm choosing to be more likely to snap at my kids and my wife the next day. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Just be aware of that your choices have an impact. And resourcing is one of those areas to be aware of. And it, to me, that includes everything from nutrition. If I'm really hungry, I'm yeah. under-resourced. Yeah. It's not a problem. Just be aware that how you're going to act and show up in that moment. Yeah. I love that you call connection the missing key to optimal health, because I think post-pandemic, we're all feeling a real need for connection. And what I'm seeing, especially with the, the tweens and teens that I work with that are really plugged into social media, is that they're highly connected in a digital sense, but missing a lot of in-person connection. And I mean, that's probably true to adults to some extent too, but I think for those who are sort of coming of age in this area, it's really concerning. Yeah. And that's where we talk about humans are naturally a social species and we need connection to thrive. If you remove connection, I mean, babies will die, right? So you need, you need to be connected and, and in fact, it affects our physiology so much that 
disconnection and isolation and all of the stuff that goes along that we put under the umbrella of connection, when you're not connected, you actually enter into a pro-inflammatory response. And there's all sorts of markers that go up, all sorts of disease uh, outcomes that are affected from hemoglobin A1C, which is long-term blood sugar control, to cholesterol levels, to your microbiome. I mean, it's so impactful on so many levels. And what was interesting is that one of the markers of being uh, pro-inflammatory and, and or being anti-inflammatory and antiviral, if you did this intervention in person, you know, if you were connecting in person, the marker of you know being anti-viral and anti-inflammatory improved. Mm. <clears throat> but if you did it over Zoom or over technology, it did not. The same intervention. So mm, there's something that we are missing when we do not do things in person, and that this all of the world's focus on making things easier and technology and more accessible is having an impact on our bodies and our physical health. Mm. So would you say that having a digital connection is better than having zero connection, but not nearly as good as having a human connection? Yes. I think that everything, it's almost like people will say, is this food good or bad? And I'll say, compared to what? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's similarly, but we can't say everything's fine if we're, you know, hiding in our house and only seeing people digitally. That's not how our bodies will thrive and it'll affect our physical health. Yeah. Yeah. I think coming out of the pandemic, there are so many of us who were hiding in our house to stay safe, that it's been hard to get a lot of people out of that mode of feeling safe out of their homes and being home feels like the safe, safest place to be. So I think getting out of the world and getting reconnected to other humans has been a, has been a battle. Right. Because in general, we think of sort of one piece of the, of the puzzle and we focus just on that. And that's how the healthcare world focuses. I mean, you take a pill and it might affect one pathway, but you don't talk about the 20 other pathways that it affects as well. We call those side effects. To me, you know, there's a side effect to everything. And similarly, there's a side effect or adverse effects from staying at home. In fact, people who don't get sick, Right. People who say, oh, I haven't my my child or my I haven't gotten a cold in two or three years. And they're so excited. I'll say that's not how your body was designed. Your immune system needs that interaction. It needs that function. You know, it's not it's not health promoting in the long run. Right. So it really depends what your goal is. If your goal is just mm -hmm. not to get sick for the next year. Yeah. Hiding in your house may help in that way. But if your goal is lasting you know, satisfaction in your life and joy and long-term health and longevity, right? Then that strategy might not be the best. Right. Yeah. And looking at adolescent health, we see that, you know, staying home reduces the rates of kids taking drugs, reduces teen pregnancy, but then it increases depression and anxiety and it's a trade-off. So I think in some ways as parents, we can think, you know, as our kids grow, if we can just keep them home, we can keep them safe, but that's not true either. Right. And there's lots of strategies to address teen pregnancy, for example. Staying home is just one of them. Right. And to me, that's the way I like to think about it. Let's connect around our needs. Right. So people who stay home, that's a strategy to meet their need for health and safety. Mm -hmm. But if they understood how the viruses worked and how their immune system worked, right, if they understood that more effectively, maybe they would make different changes. Maybe they wouldn't. Ultimately, that's their choice. But I want them, I think what happened was we didn't let, or maybe we're, some people weren't even aware of the, all of the negative impacts 
of staying home, right? And that's the challenge. You didn't have a full picture to make an informed decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this chat, Matt. It was great getting to know you and hearing a little bit more about your work. Oh, thank you for having me. I love, I love this topic. Yeah. And where can we find you online to learn more? So we have a website, weheal.health. And then our, uh, our book is on uh, wellness to wonderful is on Amazon. And we do a fair bit on nonviolent communication. We infuse that throughout the book and uh, yeah, super fun. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want the links to the things that we talked about today, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 353. That's where you'll find the links to get in touch with Matt and some of the books that he shares with Alona. Thanks for tuning in. I'll chat with you next week.